on the experience that can be detrimental to a career because not only do we go on and talk about those people anyway, but they never get a chance to clear the air about things that might be said about them. Even those who I've had sticky relationships with find that in the end, the ordeal isn't so bad. And once you get in the studio with me, it's a different story from what you might have expected. I feel I'm a very nice person. No, really. And I try to be fair. I try to bring up as many things from the past that I have free-for-all talked about, and I ask them if it's true. I dissect it as many ways as I can think of. The Wendy Williams experience is the place where celebrities should want to come and clear up gossip, rumors, and innuendo. They have the opportunity to put their story out there. It's their chance to tell the people what the real deal is. My show is almost a necessity if a celebrity expects to take it to the next level. Celebrities must share themselves with the public if they expect to stay on top. That's just the way it is today. There are so many people out there with great talent, but what separates great talent from stardom is the surrounding excitement, that buzz. On the Wendy Williams experience, I always use Deborah Cox as an example of somebody who hasn't figured it out. Deborah's got a nice body. She's got a cute face, and she can really sing. So why isn't she as big as Ashanti or Beyonce? I'll tell you why, people. She doesn't have that certain je ne sais quoi. She's boring. She has no rumors swirling around her. She isn't linked to anybody exciting. She's just another talented woman who will never be a superstar. Celebrities who put themselves out there, whether on purpose or by mistake, can really get mileage out of their careers. Look at Paris Hilton. She and her sister Nikki Hilton were mildly interesting. It was cool that these two rich girls were on the red carpet and all that, but it wasn't until Paris got caught out there with the sex tape that her career really took off. Because of that controversy, her television show The Simple Life became a hit. And now she's even talking about a music career. And that might fly because people want to know Paris Hilton. And then there are those like Britney Spears who manufactures her buzz. Her kiss with Madonna, another professional at manufacturing buzz, was front page news and top story in entertainment for days, dare I say weeks. Britney was shown in the tabloid smoking, was reported to be a teen drinker, and even admitted having used drugs. And I believe all of this has helped her stay on top. Her last album wasn't selling as well as the previous ones, so what does she do? she gets that quickie marriage in Vegas. That marriage cost her more than a half million dollars in payoffs to the groom for the annulment, but how many more albums did she sell? Britney figured out that controversy sells, and it does. So celebrities should thank me for keeping their names out there because shows like mine help their careers. I can't remember the first time I started doing celebrity interviews the way I do them now. I can't remember when I first started asking questions off the beaten path, but I can say that my style developed once I realized that I wanted to ask the questions and get the information for the people, not the industry. When I realized why I wanted to do radio, everything changed. I do radio for the people, John and Jane Q. Public. As a result, I am not a part of the in crowd in entertainment. I don't get some of the invitations to the fabulous events and great parties that other disc jockeys who are a little more kissy-kissy in their manner of interview get to enjoy. But it's a sacrifice I gladly make. Once I chose to be on the side of the people instead of on the side of the celebrity, I no longer had boundaries in terms of the kinds of questions that I asked because I no longer worried about offending people. I wasn't worried about not being invited to their stupid weddings or getting backstage passes to their concerts. It didn't take me long to figure out that I cared more about the people, my people, 
you people than I care about the celebrities, even the ones listening right now. LL Cool J was the very first celebrity I ever interviewed who is still a big celebrity today. I was in college at Northeastern University in Boston. I was a disc jockey at my college station. And we were actually one of the largest stations in the Boston area that played rap and R&B music. LL was just coming on the scene with his song, I Need a Beat, and was making his rounds promoting his new album. He was about 17, and I was, well, whatever. And I remember giggling and blushing through the whole interview. I don't think I asked him one solid question. I was so caught up in his lip licking and his flirting. If he ever stopped flirting with me, I wouldn't have been able to ask him a gripping question anyway. So the interview went much like this. Oh, LL, tell me about your new single, I said. Well, sweetheart, he began licking those lips of his about a dozen times, <laughs> and I was finished. So cute, so young. <laughs> The next time I interviewed LL Cool J was around 1995, and he had become one of the biggest rappers in the game and had already broken into television with In the House. He had done his first starring role in a movie, Out of Sync, and I was the it girl in New York City at that time on 98.7 Kiss, number one in my time slot, doing my popular Top 8 at 8 countdown. Now, this interview was quite different. I wasn't falling for the flirtation. Somewhere along the way, I realized that I wasn't somebody LL Cool J was checking for or looking at in that way. I wasn't the around-the-way girl that he rapped about. I was older, and I wasn't buying it. Don't try to slay me with your lip licking, I was saying to myself. I can see through that. You like small girls, not girls like me. Let's just say it was quite a different interview. He was seasoned. I was seasoned, he came in guarded, and I was throwing questions that went way beyond, yeah, what's the next single off your album? <laughs> well, throughout the years, LL Cool J has been a topic of conversation on my show. My talk about him prompted him to devote almost an entire chapter in his 1997 best-selling book, I Make My Own Rules, to discuss how, hmm, I was such a negative influence and a terrible role model. To this day, if he sees me on the red carpet at award shows, he'll run in the opposite direction. And that's fine. We're not friends. But to me, he's still the GOAT, the greatest of all time in rap music. The title, however, doesn't exempt him from being talked about on the experience. I've had the pleasure of interviewing so many icons and divas, so many stars and faded stars, and I've learned never to predict what's going to happen in an interview because you never know. Even the most seasoned vets in the game can be thrown off course by an off-the-beaten-path question. I've had many interviews that I thought would be complete duds that turn out to be very exciting. Take Judge Greg Mathis, for instance, of The Judge Mathis Show. Well, he came on the experience in 2003 for what I thought would be a perfectly boring interview about a man who pulled himself up from the streets, from his terrible past to become a judge and a role model, and it turned into a disgusting free-for-all where I was cussed out and yelled at. This judge completely lost his cool. I can't even give you the details of the questions that I asked him that set him off. Unfortunately, after the interview, Judge Mathis went back to Detroit, and he slapped my radio station and me with a gag order, preventing me from talking about the interview or rebroadcasting it. But I can tell you this. It was one of my more memorable interviews that took a turn for hmm, the unexpected, to say the least. 
Valletta Wallace, the mother of the notorious B.I.G., Christopher Wallace, was a guest on my show in the spring of 2003. She was coming on to promote Big's Night Out, a charity event that raises money for the Christopher Wallace Foundation, which provides books and computers to schools primarily in the Brooklyn area where Big, who was shot to death in 1997, grew up. I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be the most boring situation. In my mind, I wasn't billing it as a full-fledged interview. Miss Wallace came to the show with R&B songstress Faith Evans, who would normally get the experience line of questioning, but because she was there as the dutiful daughter-in-law instead of the first lady of Bad Boy Records, I couldn't go there with her either. I mean, she was there with Miss Wallace, mature, motherly Miss Wallace. I couldn't ask those kinds of questions in front of her. Miss Wallace was bringing a black cloud of maturity over the whole damn studio. Ugh! But I have to tell you that this woman just came in with her honesty, her smile, and her wisdomatic ways and changed everything I was feeling. She just lit up the room, and it ended up being one of my best interviews. She was surprisingly a lot smaller. Her hair was done in a proper upsweep. Miss Wallace is not shiny at all. She's understated elegance. You could tell by the fabric of her clothes. She was wearing good, expensive clothes. And she wasn't wearing any labels and no jewelry. Miss Wallace was no Janice Combs, if you know what I mean. And I think you do. But she's no wallflower. Miss Wallace brought the heat, honey. She not only talked about her age and how she hadn't had sex in years, but she also talked candidly about her son Biggie and his relationships with different women, and the conversation led to little Kim, and that's when it got interesting. There had been allegations that Biggie was abusive to Kim during their relationship and that at one point he even pointed a gun to her head, and Miss Wallace said, here's the quote, if my son held a gun to her head, he should have pulled the trigger and blown her brains out. It was like, whoa, she dropped that bomb, and when the smoke cleared the entire...